Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. Um, so, as I said before, tonight's the uh, beginning class of our 32-class structured study of Vipassana, uh, true and introspective insight into the three marks of existence. So let me just get into the introduction. Uh, I know you've all read the introduction, I hope you have. Uh, and it's okay if you haven't, you can always catch up on it. Um, and I made some slight changes. I did a, a quick edit before uh, we began. Uh, there was a, a couple of redundancies. Uh, paragraphs right at the beginning of this, and I cut them out. I also um, moved back one section uh, to where we're going to end today and where part two will begin on Saturday. You might notice, you might not. So the title of this study is Vipassana, a structured study, Anicca, Anatta, and Dukkha resolved. Anicca, Anatta, and Dukkha. Uh, Anicca is the impermanence of all things. Anatta is a misunderstanding of self in relation to the impermanent world we live in that results in stress and suffering, uh, self-induced stress and suffering, known as dukkha. The um, Pasana structured study, Anicca, Anatta, and Dukkha resolve. This is the uh, part one introduction. The Pasana means insight. In the context of the Buddhist Dhamma, the Pasana is not merely a popular hybrid meditation method or a distracting grasping after insight into all impermanent phenomena practice. Uh, the reason why I say that, I'm not putting, putting down the modern Vipassana movement, which is um, tied to modern Theravada Buddhism. Um, they just they simply use the term and their its application in a very different way than the Buddha taught. Uh, I went on um, three, four, five Vipassana retreats, uh, both seven and ten day retreats, and they were interesting, uh, but again, they didn't teach me anything about what the Buddha actually taught. Uh, and the typical retreat begins with three days of something that loosely could be related to jhana meditation. And then you're taught to abandon that meditation and the rest of the retreat, whether it's seven or ten days, uh, or four more days, or uh, seven more days. Um, your meditation practice is simply to quiet your mind for a few moments and then notice the impermanence of what arises and that's what i mean when a grasping after impermanence in all things practice uh, the buddha never taught any other method of meditation but jhana meditation and he never taught to look for any kind of insight within meditation he used meditation and he taught meditation for the sole purpose that we use it for, which is to increase concentration. True introspective insight comes from integrating the Eightfold Path. And I mentioned that to Kelly earlier, just to ask, are you, are you working on integrating the Eightfold Path? And, and I know you will, Kelly. Uh, because it is through developing right view and right intention and holding in mind, meaning developing the refined mindfulness, to use your own behavior as insight into Anatta into that that one mark of existence in relation to the impermanent world. So as we're mindful of our behavior, of our of our unskillful speech, action, and livelihood, and start developing skillful speech, action, and livelihood, 
that's where we'll find insight into our own eye making. And so, uh, like Kelly, uh, and maybe even Sarah, because it's been a little while, Sarah, this may seem a little bit uh, strange to you, uh, but this is the essence of the, of the Buddhist Dharma. And as you continue, uh, it'll become clear that this is the essence. It, it's, um, as we develop the Buddhist Dharma, we learn in a very profound but gentle way to not take anything that occurs in the world in a personal matter. Why? Because there is nothing personal in the world except if we make it so. And as soon as we make something personal, as soon as we attach ourselves to something, or as the Buddha would say, we join with whatever it is, we join with our dukkha, we join with stress and suffering, then we can see that we're the cause of that. Uh, but we need the structure of the Eightfold Path in order to recognize that, or we just continue to do that. So, in the context of the Buddha's Dhamma, the Pasana describes introspective insight into a fabricated misunderstanding of self in relation to the world. Remember what we learned uh, during the Truth of Happiness structured study uh, on dependent origination that, that states, this, the, the Buddha awakened to dependent origination, which states, from ignorance of Four Noble Truths as a requisite condition come fabrication. It's such an important line that is often overlooked. Without ignorance of Four Noble Truths, we have abandoned the required position for fabrication to develop. But of course, as human beings, uh, without the structure of the understanding of the Buddhist Dhamma, that's just something we do as a, as a consequence of having a human life. So as ignorance of Four Noble Truths as a requisite condition comes fabrication, the next uh, link in the 12-link chain of dependencies of dependent origination is from, from fabrications as a requisite condition comes consciousness. And it is that consciousness, uh, again, it's not grand cosmic consciousness, consciousness with a big C, as I like to say, it simply is a reminder that the, our thinking is rooted in ignorance of Four Noble Truths and is informed by fabrications. Another word for fabrications might be a corruption of our view, a wrong view of ourselves in relation to the world. So I hope I'm not going too quickly uh, or, or providing too much information all at once. But again, to point out, this is the essence of the Buddhist Dharma, understanding this um, clinging relationship of wrong views of self to what's occurring in the world and wanting the world to be different in one way or another, meaning want, wanting um, whatever we find is giving us pleasure, we want more of it. Uh, that's the essence of compulsive or addictive behavior. Or anything that we find might take away from our pleasure or our safety, we become equally compulsed about avoiding those things. And all of that is a major distraction from simply life as life occurs. All of that is an aspect of taking what's occurring in a very personal matter. Those two components of ignorance of self in relation to the world, in relation to all impermanent phenomena, result in ongoing stress and suffering known as dukkha. It is ignorance of self in relation to the world resulting in stress and suffering that are the three common characteristics of all human beings. It is the central theme and purpose of the Buddha's Dhamma to develop skillful vipassana and resolution into the fabricated clinging relationship through developing wisdom of Four Noble Truths. So the Buddha awakened to dependent origination, and then he presented the Four Noble Truths as the explanation and the path to understanding what we have done ourselves. 
there's no one to um, blame, and I use that word loosely. We shouldn't be blaming ourselves harshly or judging ourselves harshly, but we must take responsibility for our own wrong views. And it doesn't matter where they came from. Most of us didn't. Um, most of us weren't born into the world and said, "Okay, I'm going to develop a wrong view as my lifetime work." It's it's something that has a as a consequence of simply having a human life. But along the way, all of us become frustrated and confused about the meaning of life. Uh, I remember being seven, eight, nine, ten years old, and thinking none of this is making sense to me. And it be, I became very frustrated, uh, very agitated, which in my case led to me picking up a drink at 12 years old and then drugs shortly thereafter. And I'm not excusing that behavior away. Other people do different things uh, to cope with that frustration and that lack of understanding. Uh, some people decide that if they can make tons and tons of money, they'll insulate themselves from dukkha, or some people seek power. Uh, some people um, play an awful lot of golf. We have some golfers on here. But every human being, prior to developing the Buddhist Dhamma and developing understanding, has to create their own coping mechanism for how to deal with this frustration and confusion. The Buddha understood that, and so he taught an Eightfold Path to understand our part in this process of misunderstanding of the three marks. I'll continue with the introduction. This study that we're embarking on tonight provides the framework and guidance of these 29 suttas that develop specific, profound, and skillful introspective insight, resolving all suffering arising from wrong views of self in relation to all impermanent phenomena in the world. Excuse <coughs> me. And so I used the, the term introspective insight to, to describe what we're doing. is in, It's an inside job. We're looking within ourselves, but not in some magical or mystical way, um, or, and not even in an analytical or therapeutic way. And I have nothing wrong about talking down therapy. This is just something different. It's, it, it's even the, the introspective insight that we're developing is and has to be impersonal because if we start taking our own wrong views personally <coughs> we'll never be able to develop right views we'll spend our dhamma practice judging ourselves harshly and judging our dhamma practice harshly rather than simply developing and that's why you hear me say the key to developing the buddhist dhamma is to be very gentle with yourself with others and with the buddhist dhamma excuse me So everything the Buddha taught was taught in the context of dependent origination and the ongoing stress, suffering, confusion, and distraction that result from ignorance of Four Noble Truths. So again, just a reminder of what, why the Four Noble Truths are called Noble Truths, um, and I'm cognizant that, that Kelly is here for the, the first time. Um, the four noble truths are noble because they relate directly to the Dhamma. In other words, it doesn't mean that there's nothing else is true in the world. And I often use it like a, a, an example. Uh, on a clear day, the sky is blue. That's a truth. But it's not a noble truth. It doesn't relate to the Dhamma. And it's, it's inconsequential and insignificant to the Dhamma. We, and the reason why I say that is the, the modern Vipassana movement will cling to things that are normal occurrences and make Dhamma practice, or just use that to describe the Dhamma practice. Like if, if somehow I'm gaining insight that the sky is blue, well, 
I, I just wasted I just wasted a lot of time doing so. An old friend of mine just an old Buddhist friend just sent me a text. Um, did anybody know Pete Ronald? No. Uh, so these these four truths are noble because they relate to developing understanding of what it means to be a human being without clinging to things being different than they are. The Buddha's intended purpose of his entire teaching career is to resolve ignorance through introspective insight into the clinging relationship between impermanent, impermanent phenomena and individual ignorance and the stress and suffering that arises. So every human being has developed this on their own, but there's also a, a, um, uh, a collective human experience that is described as ignorance. And we can look at all the stress and suffering in the world. Right now, it seems like the world, as the Buddha taught in the Loka Sutta, it seems like the world is more aflame than it's ever been. It's not. The conditions in the world today are almost exactly as they were during the Buddha's lifetime, 2,600 years ago. The difference is um, there wasn't global communication back then, obviously. And so the Buddha, I think he had an understanding that the world was living like this, but he certainly didn't have direct knowledge of things going on around the world and the, this instantaneous um, Twitter compulsion that we're all involved in. Not me, I don't, I don't see... Um, but the, the underlying condition of the problems of the world today is exactly the same as it was. It's ignorance of Four Noble Truths. It's taking things personally. It's, it's a, uh, a constant um, need to um, promote a fabricated ego-based self rather than simply live in peace and understanding of what's occurring in the world. And we can all do that, folks. Um, I can tell you that I'm not trying to set myself up uh, on some kind of pedestal, but the big difference in my life is I take, I don't know if I take anything, but I, I ta I'll, I'll say it this way, I take very little personal anymore today, uh, and that's made all the difference in the world. Uh, I haven't attached myself to, to the people and events of my life to be any different than they, than they are, and so I'm at peace with, um, I think I'm at peace with all my relationships. I don't like to make absolute statements, but that is the essence of the Dharma, isn't it? Every human being wants to find a way to live with a calm and peaceful mind, but we think we need to do it through manipulating and managing external events rather than simply changing our mind to go from wrong view to right view, to understand at a profound level what it truly means to be a human being. And again, there's nothing personal about being a human being. Um, <clears throat> Just for some clarity, especially for those that are new um, and may, maybe not haven't heard me say this before. So throughout all of my teachings, but certainly in this course, um, I will use the word Dhamma, referring to the original teachings of the Buddha. And when I use the word Dharma, uh, I'm referring to, to what modern Buddhism has developed into, but has nothing to do with what the Buddha actually taught. Um, skip ahead a little bit. And again, just my, uh, well, let me read this. Dharma refers to any adapted, accommodated, and or embellished Buddhist religion, lineage, or hybrid modern Buddhism by common agreement practice, not taught by the Buddha. Uh, most of modern Buddhism, and I studied in all the major schools, um, resolves itself in that it's all one thing. And then 
even it goes even deeper into corruption by um, different groups saying, well, I think this is what Buddhist practice is. That's what I mean by Buddhism, by common agreement. <coughs> so you get, <coughs> excuse me, you get from small groups of people that get together and decide what Buddhist practice might be, and you get very large organizations, and I won't name them, but you know, I was a part of many of them, that do the same thing. Uh, someone, we, we were talking a little bit about our friend Bhikkhu Bodhi. Uh, he's, the member, he's a member of a, a few major organizations. One is based here in New Jersey, up in Lafayette. And their charge, what they, what, they, what they put out to the public is, the reason for their existence is to marry all the different forms of modern Buddhism into one, I don't even know how to describe it. Uh, and I've been there a few times. They're wonderful people. Their services are great. Um, but again, they're not teaching anything that, that the Buddha taught. What they're teaching is Buddhism by common agreement. That contradicts exactly what the Buddha taught. The Buddha was the, the, the most radical thinker of his time, and I would argue of all time. He went against making a common agreement of all the beliefs of his time. And he studied all of them. He studied with the foremost uh, spiritual, so-called religious teachers of his time, and rejected them, not that they were bad or evil or anything like that, they simply weren't leading to his goal of understanding. And that's exactly what I found in my modern Buddhist practice. It wasn't until I came to what the Buddha thought that I found something worthwhile. Again, I intend no disrespect to those practices. My intent is to provide clarity as to what an awakened human being actually taught, because that's what made the difference in my life. So this, this um, fidelity to, to reality rather than common agreement follows Siddhartha Gautama's continuous example of clearly and directly pointing out the distinction, distinctions between his dharma and the common dharmas of his time, including many that have consistently reemerged over time. Um, much of modern Buddhism is a, a continual reinvention of what occurred during the Buddhist time, but was accelerated in a few hundred years after the Buddha's uh, passing. And if, if you read my, uh, the history of the Pali Canon on the website, uh, I talk about how the Mahasanghikas, uh, a, a, a common sect during the Buddha's time, and after the Buddha died, they wanted to create a more magical, mystical type of dharma, and they wanted to elevate the Buddha from a human being who awakened to a godlike stature, excuse me. And that's where the notion of the, 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 the Buddha that we often refer to was simply one Buddha in an endless line of, of Buddhas, stretching back to the endless past and going into the, into the endless future. Uh, and they did that for a very specific reason, because if they just relied on a human Buddha, then you cannot attach magical and mystical teachings. And it's magical and mystical teachings that provide the perfect vehicle for continued eye-making within a so-called religious or spiritual practice. Again, that's something the Buddha rejected out of hand. Why? Because it's just more distraction. It's not based in human reality. The Buddha wasn't concerned about what we might become in a future life. 
because he knew that the the the, the, the um, just to use a strong phrase, the pernicious hatred in that. Because, and I'm using that word because it takes us out of what I am in this moment. And it was my frustration with modern Buddhism. I didn't understand it until I, I came across what the Buddha thought. That I was wasting my entire life hoping that my good works and my, um, my faith would provide me with a reward in some kind of Buddhist heaven. Even though internally I knew that was silly and that was ridiculous. I went along with it because I was clinging to Buddhism by common agreement. I was clinging to my associations. I was clinging to the different temples and centers that I went to. Uh, again, all, well, I, I shouldn't say all wonderful people. I came across a few people that weren't so nice. In fact, I don't want to get into it right now. Um, but it wasn't, again, what, until I came to what the, 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 the Buddha taught, this pure Dhamma, teaching me what it means to be a human being, that there was something worthwhile here, and it's something that changed my life. The Buddha says, all conditioned things that arise, and, yes, <laughs> all conditioned things that arise will pass away. That's a, a key to the, to the Buddhist Dhamma. What is a conditioned thing? A conditioned thing is something that I've conditioned myself to believe, rooted in ignorance of Four Noble Truths, that have led to a fabrication. That's a conditioned belief. And even the conditioned belief that I'm the greatest meditation in the future in the world is a, is a conditioned belief. Any conditioned belief that I need to change who or what I am in response to worldly conditions or what people and, or events of my life are as they occur is a conditioned belief. The belief that I need to do a, a thousand and one prostrations before I can achieve some kind of Buddhist understanding is a conditioned belief. But any aspect of eye-making is conditioned. Anytime we're taking anything personal, we're engaged in eye-making. And that's why the virtuous aspects of the Eightfold Path are so incredibly valuable for developing our understanding, because it is in through recognizing and being mindful of unskillful or wrong speech, wrong action, and wrong livelihood, and striving to develop right speech, right action, and right livelihood, that eye-making is revealed, and it always is. What we hold in mind, Whatever those beliefs are, will always reveal itself in our behavior. And sometimes it's pretty obvious, but sometimes it's not. In other words, for the many years that I was going to um, modern Buddhist teachings, I didn't know that I was acting out of a fabrication. I didn't know that I was acting from conditioned thinking. But yet I was compelled to do these things. And, it was, and I bounced around from this practice to that. Uh, a few weeks ago, when I got out of the hospital, I asked Ron to come and help clean out my house. Uh, and, and I had a whole line of bookcases down this hallway, right outside this room. One of the reasons was is I, I never would read them again. They were they were all the the, um, the Buddhist books that I bought in a compulsive way, hoping that in one of them I was going to find the answer that I just wasn't finding anywhere. Uh, and again, it wasn't until I got rid of all that and studied just what the Buddha taught that changed everything. So that quote I just read, all conditioned things that arise will pass away, is kind of a key to the Dhamma. Because if we understand that all I need to do is to develop a pure and authentic Dhamma practice, all of those conditioned thoughts that arise will pass away. The quote also describes the purpose and focus of Vipassana. 
in the context intended by an awakened human being. Upon hearing the Buddha's words for the very first time, Venerable Kandana, let me do a little background on Kandana. The, just prior to the Buddha's awakening, he abandoned the five friends that he was wandering around northern India and southern Nepal, all of them seeking so-called awakening or enlightenment. And they were all practicing very severe ascetic practices and, and other magical and mystical practices. And the Buddha got, um, he got fed up with it one day, and he left those friends behind. Uh, and I won't tell the whole story, but he started studying on his own eventually. Uh, and out of frustration one night, he, he remembered a meditation practice that he did as a five-year-old when he was frustrated by even back then about what was occurring in his life. And that little, that, that little, that simple meditation method that he remembered back then, he employed uh, now at the age of 36. And that was jhana meditation. And through the course of uh, jhana meditation over a few days, and it described it in the Gar Sutta that we're going to get to uh, very early in our study, he awakened, he understood the nature of his, his eye-making in this world. And now we had an awakened human being. Siddhartha Gautama is now a Buddha. So, a few weeks after the Buddha's awakening, he's walking down the street in the bliss of his own awakening. And there's his five friends who spot, who, who spot their, their ex-friend because they had now um, kind of excommunicated, excommunicated him from their own little group. The Buddha is now, or Siddhartha, is now out in the world and he's... he's living a luxurious life, which meant he was eating food again for the first time. Uh, he's sleeping on, on straw rather than just on the ground. He's wearing clothes. Uh, and so they didn't want anything to do with Siddhartha, but they noticed the countenance of this man, and they realized something was different in him. And so they, they did allow the Buddha to approach them, and they talked to him. The Buddha gave them the teaching. This was, he gave them the Dhammachakapavatana Sutta that we're going to get to. And upon hearing that for the first time, one of that group of five, uh, Kandana, spoke these words. That all conditioned things that arise will come to cessation. The Buddha responded to Kandana. You are now on a Kandana, the one who understands. He's telling Kandana that you are awakened by understanding the nature of conditioned thinking. Um, a few weeks later, he gave the Anattalakana Sutta, and, and the other four friends awakened at hearing that, the, the, not, the sutta on the not-self-characteristic. Uh, so, again, vipassana means insight in the context of the Buddhist dhamma. Vipassana is not merely a popular hybrid, hybrid meditation method or a distracting resting after insight into all impermanent phenomena. It is ignorance of self in relation to the world, resulting in stress and suffering, that are these common characteristics of all human beings, these three common characteristics are and often referred to as the three marks of existence. <coughs> the Pali slash Sanskrit words describing these three marks are anicca, I know I'm repeating myself, but just to make the point, anicca, which is all impermanent phenomena, anatta, fabricated views of self in relation to that phenomena, or all, all worldly events. And dukkha, ongoing confusion, delusion, and distracting, disappointing, and unsatisfactory life experience. A subtle, ongoing discontent. And that also relates to the five clinging aggregates. Again. 
the Buddha's description of, of dukkha that he uh, I just turn no or I can't record it. Um, the Buddha consistently described dukkha in this way. Birth is dukkha or suffering. He's not saying that being born is, is suffering, although I understand it's a painful experience. What he's saying is a consequence of having a human life is suffering. It's a common problem. And then he continues to say sickness is, is dukkha, aging is dukkha, death is dukkha. Not getting what is desired is dukkha. Getting what is undesired is, is dukkha, stress and suffering. And then he would always conclude that by saying, in short, the five clinging aggregates are dukkha. So the five clinging aggregates are form, feeling, perceptions, mental fabrications, and consciousness. I mean, remember that consciousness is not some grand cosmic consciousness. It's just ongoing thinking rooted in ignorance of four noble truths. So those five clinging aggregates describe the ongoing personal experience of suffering. And we're going to get deeper into that as, as this study progresses. And we looked at that during the Truth of Happiness study too. Dukkha originates in and is dependent on specific ignorance of four noble truths. This is the profound knowledge that Buddha awakened to, as described in the Paticca Samapada Sutta, the primary sutta on dependent origination. In order to develop useful vipassana, an authentic understanding of dependent origination is required. This fundamental relationship is explained in detail further on. Again, we're going to, we just went through the, uh, the Paticca Samapada Sutta. We're going to go through it again in this context. What Kandana is describing to his teacher is his developing development of profound vipassana, profound introspective insight into his own conditioned views of himself rooted in ignorance. Conditioned by ignorance, these self-referential views condition life experience that obscures reality while providing seeming validity to the fabricated views. And we do that constantly. A mind rooted in ignorance will continue to, and it, it's included in the, the root of the word ignorance, will continue to ignore its own ignorance by constantly fabricating and refabricating its own views of itself in relation to the world. And so when you look at it from that perspective, from the moment we're born, unless there's something we encounter that interrupts that constant process of fabrication and refabrication, we spend our whole life in what the Buddha would say, a life of living death because we're not living a human life. We're stuck in the past, and from that reaction to the past and the condition that the past has brought to our minds, we throw ourselves into the future, and we hope for a better day tomorrow or a better day in a future life, and what happens when we do that? We're not living right here, right now. And all of life can only be experienced from life as life occurs, meaning as it occurs. The Dhamma cannot be practiced yesterday or at any time in the past, and there is no Dhamma tomorrow or any time in the future. The only time we can practice Dhamma is right here and right now. A mind rooted in jhana is the prerequisite for that, isn't it? A well-concentrated mind, holding in mind the refined mindfulness of the entire eightfold path. So. I, I'm just going to go, I, I didn't con content, conclude that sentence. So, um, seeming validity to a fabricated view of himself in relation to the world we live in. Rooted in ignorance of self, entangled in the world, 
Kandana created distracting self-referential views that brought him confusion, deluded thinking, and ongoing discontent and disappointment. Upon hearing the words of his teacher, Kandana was able to recognize that the cause of his own confusion and discontent arose not from any external force, like we like to do, we blame the world and other people in the world, a, a lack of ritualistic practice, the Buddha would say, rites and rituals do not bring the Dhamma. You often caution against that. So, and again, I say that in relation to much of modern Buddhism, which is um, characterized more by rites and rituals rather than any real development of understanding. Or past misdeeds. We're told that um, whatever our past mis misdeeds are, we must suffer through them. That this is a misapplication of karma. And of course, that has nothing to do with the actual um, teaching of karma as presented by the Buddha. We went over that in the Truth of Happiness Dhamma study. Uh, but the, the, to, um, to lay truth to that lie that there's future suffering based on past behavior, uh, we only have to look at a few of the important characters during the Buddhist teaching career. Angela Milla always comes to mind. Uh, Angela Milla was, was known as Angela Milla the Murderer. And he was such a demented and deluded, uh, bloodthirsty human being that when he murdered people, and he took great joy in it, he would cut off one of their fingers, fingers, and he would he made a necklace out of these bloody fingers. And he had 99 uh, on his neck one day, and he saw the Buddha walking down the street and said, Aha, that guy's going to be number 100. And there's a whole long story about he couldn't keep quite get close enough to the Buddha to kill him, and the Buddha finally confronted Angela Miller. He briefly taught him the Dhamma. He taught him Four Noble Truths. And Angela Miller awakened on the spot. And he never harmed another soul from that point on. So modern Buddhas and the modern belief, pop belief in karma, would say, well, Angela Miller has to suffer 99 deaths for him to balance out the scale. That has nothing to do with it. Angela Miller did all those horrible murders because his mind was rooted in ignorance. And he was prone to live that way because of that ignorance. Once his mind cleared, there was nothing else for him to so-called repent about, is there? There was nothing left of that ignorance in him. Nothing left for him to do. And so that's what we're talking about here. We don't have to relive all the awful things that we might have done in our life, and maybe not so awful, but things that we, that we judge ourselves harshly. And again, this relates to being gentle with ourselves. All that we need to do is to recognize that any behavior that we're not proud of or hope to continue is rooted in ignorance. And if we abandon ignorance, we will never act that way because there's nothing left, using the Buddha's words, there's nothing nothing left within me to provoke another moment rooted in ignorance. And it also relates to birth. Um, I'm just going to go a little bit further. I don't know if I'm going to read all of part one, but again, you've read it all. Um, this well-focused, introspective in insight distinguished the Buddha's Dharma from other Dharmas of his time and this time, and our time. This necessary, clear distinction continues today. Uh, I'm going to read two more sections. This section is called Developing Useful and Skillful Vipassana. The compulsive manner that dependent origination has been adapted, accommodated, embellished, or outright dismissed by most modern Buddhism is perhaps the best example of the corruption that follows from ignoring a Buddha's authentic dharma in favor of modern fabricated dharmas. So I encourage every one of you to go and do a, 
a Google search or maybe a Bing search or something else. DuckDuckGo uh, is a good one. Um, just do it on dependent origination, and you'll be surprised. And uh, in the context of the Buddhist Dharma, you might even be shocked at what is often presented as dependent origination. And it's also um, it's often called things like interdependent co-origination, uh, dependent co-arising. And, of course, interdependent and dependent is two different words, isn't it? But it's, it's always corrupted. It's always presented in a way that supports a magical, mystical view and has nothing to do with Four Noble Truths. Um, some of the most famous Buddhist teachers have given talks on so-called dependent origination, uh, and they're, they're, they're really just nonsense. But dependent origination has to be adapted, accommodated, embellished, or outright dismissed if you're going to develop a corrupted, a corrupted dharma and call it Buddhism. And again, some may think that I'm using harsh words, but I'm just trying to be clear about the distinction between what the Buddha taught and what has developed over time. These modern dharmas lack the framework and guidance for developing useful and skillful introspective insight into the clinging relationship between Anicca, Anatta, and Dukkha. Ignoring the Buddha's Dhamma in favor of adapted, accommodated, and or embellished dharmas is the nature of ignorance. And so, I, you know, again, I, I didn't realize this until I uh, disentangled myself from it. Um, but all of my Buddhist practice up until I came across what the Buddha actually taught enabled me to continue my own ignorance. It was convenient for a mind that I had at the time that that insisted on clinging to ignorance. I had to I had to um, engage in a corrupted practice until I realized that I had enough of that. And it really was, I, I just described the Buddhist frustration with his friends that led him to awakening. And I'm not equating myself with Siddhartha Gautama, but it really was when I got, when I got to the point that I was so frustrated and confused with what I was being taught that I decided there's got to be a way of finding out what a human being who awakened actually taught, and it could not possibly be something that I was experiencing at the time. A mind rooted in ignorance will create subtle, powerful, and elaborate strategies to continue to ignore ignorance, and that's modern Buddhism. Look at look at the and, and other and other just it's not just modern Buddhism. It's a lot of different things that we get entangled in that allow us to continue to ignore our own ignorance. For ignorance to continue, ignorance must be ignored. I'm going to say it again. For ignorance to continue, ignorance must be ignored. And those are the things that we develop to continue to ignore our own ignorance. And again, sometimes it's drugs and alcohol, sometimes it's too much golf, sometimes it's uh, too much shopping, too much sex, too much reading, too much, too much, too much, too much. We all do that because it allows us to ignore ignorance. Realizing this, the Buddha taught an eightfold path to recognize, interrupt, and abandon ignorance of Four Noble Truths. That's the sole reason why he taught an eightfold path. But it's the it's it's the reason why, if we're to develop the Buddha's Dhamma, we have to develop an eightfold path, not a onefold path, meaning mind only or just meditation, which is one school of modern Buddhism, or not a an adapted path. That includes magical and mystical rituals and beliefs and visualizations and all that. There's none of that in the Buddha's Dhamma. As all of you know, the Buddha taught something very practical and direct. 
And he taught that Eightfold Path to recognize, interrupt, and abandon ignorance of Four Noble Truths. Ignor ignoring or altering an awakened human being's dhamma can only continue ignorance. The Eightfold Path provides the ongoing framework and guidance to recognize and in interrupt ignored ignorance and develop useful and skillful introspective uh, vipassana. I'm going to skip ahead just to the next section. Uh, and this, this is Siddhartha Gautama develops useful and skillful vipassana. This is how it's done. It is specific and well-focused introspective insight into Anicca Anakandukha that forms the foundation for Siddhartha Gautama's awakening. The auspicious development of a human being's useful and skillful insight into these three marks of existence occurred approximately 2,600 years ago. Siddhartha Gautama was born in an area of what is now southern Nepal on the border of northern India. Siddhartha left a, a family life of comfort, luxury, and power at the age of 29, seeking understanding of himself and the stress and suffering of the world he lived in. Over the course of six years, he methodically studied and rejected the common ascetic practices and the common philosophical, religious, and spiritual systems and beliefs of his time. He mastered the most advanced meditation pra practices and rejected them all as well. Frustrated and disappointed, I touched on this a little earlier. Frustrated and disappointed by six years of searching outside of himself in the speculative, magical, mystical, and entire and esoteric philosophies he encountered, Siddhartha left behind the distracting but comfortable, familiar common dharmas and personal associations he developed during his during his search. I'm sorry, I, as I read my eyes start getting a little crazy. So uh, Siddhartha now directed his mind his mindfulness away from abstract philosophies and abstract external salvific strategies and placed his mindfulness solely within himself, a true jhana meditation. This courageous and profound decision liberated Siddhartha from continuing unskillful and distracting associations and distracting and confusing dharmas. So just think about this. This is a human being who was as deeply associated with his friends and his beliefs as we are today. And yet he had the courage and the concentration and refined mindfulness to actually abandon all of that. But he didn't do it with the help of a sangha, and he didn't do it with somebody who's teaching him the Dhamma. He developed it himself. And that's why I say he was the most radical and courageous thinker the world has ever seen. We are following in his footsteps by practicing this authentic Dharma. And he basically said, if you do what he did, you'll awaken just as he did. And, and I think that's true. Um, this wise discrimination between what is skillful Dharma practice and the ineffective, confusing, and distracting Dharmas form the basis for consistently teaching the importance of well-focused Dharma practice and wise associations with others actually practicing his dhamma. That's the essence of a well-focused, well-informed sangha. Siddhartha now understood the subtle but powerful conditioning that follows from ignorance and associating with any dharma that uses fabricated and confused thoughts and feelings as motivation. This is a common and familiar but distracting focus for practice. When seen in the context of Siddhartha's brilliant, clear, 
and direct Dhamma. It is a preoccupation rooted in I'm sorry, rooted in self-identification with fleeting thoughts and feelings that cannot be resolved through Dharma that encourage uh, validating fabricated thoughts and feelings through distracting, grasping after over-analysis, which is simply another form of clinging. Um, I'm going to stop. That's right near the end of that section, or right near the end of part two. But honestly, I just can't read anymore. <laughs> I think I covered enough to have an uh, introduction. Um, and I did, uh, this is a rather long introduction. Uh, I want to hear from each and every one of you, um, but please keep your uh, comments to uh, as, as succinct as you can, just so everybody gets a chance. And I'm going to start with Brett. Brett, how are you tonight? Good. Uh, thank you for your teaching, John. Good to be here. Good to see everybody. Um, I always like to hear stuff on uh, conditioned thinking. Um, you know, when I get out of balance, when I get stressed out, um, that's when my the fabrications or you know the conditioned thinkings and the wrong views come up about myself and and I'm rounding this end of a stressful job and so now I'm I, I, I kind of gather strength again, but the idea is not to lose the strength or not to pick up all the fabrications when I get stressed out. So, but it was good to hear hear that because I just can really see it, you know. So, yeah. so good, thank, thank you. For you. You're touching on something that's so important. Living a life that's stressful constantly reinforces stress. It, it validates stress, doesn't it? And again, mm -hmm. that's the reason why the Buddha taught jhana meditation because every time we take a breath, unite unite our mind back in our body, we're diminishing stress. Again, that we're we're actually. Um, Developing the inner wherewithal to continue with this. Uh, Kevin, how are you tonight? Doing well, John. Thank you for your teaching. Nice to see everybody here. Um, looking forward to this study. So thank you for putting it together. Yeah, thank you. I'll talk to you tomorrow morning. Hello, Rom. <clears throat> Good evening. Good evening. Ah, we're back in the the Vipassana study again. The, the last time we did it, I was in the middle of the teacher training as well. Uh, and uh, that study was, for me, a real eye-opener. Um, it tied a lot of concepts together that I had, that I had quite a bit of confusion about. Uh, um, and um, um, I'm looking forward to going through it in, in a, with a different mindset at the moment. Um, but I would I would uh, encourage everybody to to read and study carefully because there's a lot contained in, in this study and uh, it has the potential of, of really clarifying some things that by their nature are, are somewhat confusing. Um, but it's it's well put together. There's a lot of material there, um, but it's worth putting the time in to uh, to get on top of that. But thank you for teaching us again. Thank you, Ron. And and our our uh, our five other teachers. I think there's three on tonight. David, Kevin, and Rob um, are all going to participate. They're going to teach some of these classes too as we go along. 
And Ron brings up something that's important. Uh, the Dhamma itself is impermanent too, isn't it? And that's and that what that means is that as we continue to go through the Dhamma, this is the second time many of us will be going through this particular structured study, we see something new. Because we're coming through it, we're, we're, we're coming to these sutras with a ever-developing mind of, around, uh, framed by the Dhamma. So we see things ever more clearly every time we go through it. Uh, those of you that have gone through the Truths of Happiness a few times, you all see, and everybody has, everyone has talked about this, of you're deepening your understanding to see things that you never saw before. And that's even true for me. Uh, and I've, you know, I've gone through this at least a million times over thousands of years, it seems. I'm just kidding. Uh, there, there's always... There's the... the, the, uh, the Dhamma knows no... Um, I, I, I was going to say knows no depth, but I really should use the Dhamma knows no height limitation. Uh, we, we're always developing an ever deeper and profound understanding of what it means to be a human being. Uh, the, the, the Dhamma practice in that way is never boring. Uh, once we get it, once we're practicing it accurately. So thank you, Rob. Sarah, so good to see you again. Welcome back to your Sangha. Uh. Namaste. Um, I really appreciate just hearing, just coming in here and hearing some of these things again um, and new things. And um, what came back to me or what I'm reminded of is are a few things. One is that I can see very clearly the things that I'm still hanging on to. Uh, like I can see the distance between me and you. <laughs> like, and I can, I can That's see. That's a fabrication, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can see though that that I am still hanging on to things like if I really let go of not self, who's going to look after me as if a me yeah. exists, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, that, uh, but but yet at the same time realizing. And he hearing, re remembering that if everything is passing away and I'm trying to attach myself to anything, then I am going to be continually disappointed yeah. and I'm going to be continually in a state of stress. If I, but, but the fluidity that you, that I've only experienced a little bit of, but that I can see more clearly as I hear it reflected from the other side of taking some of those leaps and letting go. Um, is um yeah that's i mean it's what it's what i want to do it's what i want to be so <laughs> thank you thank you sarah what you're describing is it shows great insight into what this is all about um and uh yeah, you're you're speaking to the essence of the buddhist dhamma so just continue i'm glad you joined us tonight josh how are you Good, John. Thank you for the lesson. We covered a lot of ground. And uh, uh, I'm just going to listen. Welcome, Kelly. That's all. Thank you. Thank you, Josh. Hi, Kelly. What do you think of your, uh, your first time with us? Um, I don't think I have any more room to think right now. 
So well, it's a lot of different lingo. Um, I'm, I'm just grateful that I have um, somebody that's going to explain all of this to me later so I don't overfill the class with uh, questions. Um, but a lot of it made sense. Um, I think the one thing that really caught my attention is when you said for ignorance to continue, ignorance has to be ignored. Um, it made me stop and think. At first, I was like, does he realize what he just said? And I'm like, well, of course he does. He's teaching the class. But then I like, had to process it a little bit. But um, And life of living death. Uh, those are the two things and your explanations around them um, that made me ponder for a minute or two. Um, but other than that, I kind of still have to process everything before I have anything that valuable to offer, I guess. But thank you very much for having me and taking the time to put in a little extra. Because, um, yeah, like I said, I'm brand new. But it was worth it. So thank you. You, you, you brought yourself to the song tonight. That's something very valuable. Uh, again, you're, you will develop the, the Dhamma. Uh, all you have to do is continue with it. Uh, don't please don't be overwhelmed. Uh, the things that I'm talking about, every one of us here was overwhelmed at one point by listening to it. Uh, if you continue, you'll 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 get it. You'll understand what what we're all talking about. It really isn't all that um, difficult. It's but it what the Buddha taught and what I teach is so contrary to a conditioned mind that we have some initial resistance to it. Sarah touched on it. Um, what happens to this self when I let go of all these fabricated views? Well, what happens is you, you go from the life of living death to what the Buddha described as the deathless state, which is an awakened human being. Uh, and you're, you're well on your way, and you've got a good friend there to, to help you too. And also, Kelly, if you have any questions at all, always feel free to send me an email. Uh, and if you want to set up a phone call or a Zoom session, you know, we'll do that too. So I'm here to support you and encourage you. I'm glad you joined us. How are you, Steve? Um, thank you, doing good. Thank you for teaching, John. And uh, looking forward to study uh, Vipassana uh, teaching and because it's very uh, confusing topic and uh, it's very common misconcept uh, for a lot of people. Even they uh, separate this vipassana like a uh, separate practice, what is even more confused because it's not practice, it's results of practicing jhana. Uh, you get uh, vipassana, you start to see things how they are. And it was, uh, I don't know, like very famous teachers like Shia uh, Carnfield created this uh, whole thing, Svipasana, Mihasi is a uh, Burmese uh, monk, uh, kind of like, uh, but Buddha didn't teach Vipassana like uh, practices, he no. teaches jhana meditation, which produce things you able to see how they are, and what this does, you see uh, yourself, you see uh, impermanence, and you still do how it arises, uh, the penetration. It's basically it's, it's, but looking forward to study because I, I confuse myself sometimes too. So, 
yeah, and again, it, it is, it, it, it is, it can be a bit confusing. Um, I'll be, I'll, you know, it is a bit confusing, isn't it? Uh, but again, the Buddha teaches without repetition, there's no Dhamma. The more we go through it, the more we hear these same things. And always remember that everything the Buddha taught was taught in the context of dependent origination and Four Noble Truths. And that helps uh, clarify it as well. But, uh, we got it. This is an auspicious start. This is, this is a, a great study. Uh, again, it gets right to the heart of it. And uh, you know, I think we're all going uh, to... I know we're all deep in our understanding of, of the Dhamma going through this. I'm glad you joined us tonight, Steve. Hello, James! Hi, John. Um, I want to echo what Ram said, that I gained a lot of understanding last time we did the study, and I anticipate even more this time. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you, James. See you on retreat coming up soon. Yeah, I want to put in a plug for that. Everybody, consider going to retreat. It's awesome. Yeah, it really is. You haven't <clears> missed <throat> one since you came. It's the first time, right? Oh, this would be my fifth time. Yeah. And, and you learn something new every time, too, don't you? Yeah, they're all different, and they're all wonderful. Yeah. So, yeah, again, just to continue with Jane, uh, if you can join us, please join us. Uh, the info is on the website and linked in the emails. Uh, but there is no um, there's no substitute for that experience of one of our retreats. So, uh, And if you decide to go, uh, whenever that is, uh, please sign up then, because the earlier you sign up, uh, it helps my planning and my logistics greatly. So. Hello, Julia. Hello, John. Um, when Michael and I first started in, in the Sangha, we walked into the Vispasana study. It was four, it was four weeks uh, in. And so um, I'm looking forward to actually, learn, you know, hear it again this time because I was I was brand new. And, and I, I feel like uh, I have... I have gained so much more uh, understanding, and so I look forward to this study. Thank you, John. Thank you, Julia. Hello, Michael. Hi, John. Uh, hi, everybody. Um, yeah, I too, I too uh, remember, which was not too long ago. So, uh, and I just want to um, just like let everyone else know that uh, there's a lot. Obviously, in this introduction, John is. There's so much in in this introduction, uh, and it's it's it can be overwhelming. Just just you reading through it and uh, explaining the different aspects of it. But going through this the first time, uh, and I it was such a great great class or a study to go through it. It slowly started to take shape, and all these, all these uh, concepts that were seemingly so, uh, you know, confusing to me, you know, at the onset of this thing, all soon, uh, soon thereafter, with you know the, the proper attention being paid to the uh, the subject matter, they all began to make sense to me, and they began to fit together, and they kind of uh, form an understanding of. You can gather what the, uh, the Dhamma is as the Buddha intended it, intended it to be, by staying, by uh, reading, studying, and uh, uh, and, and uh, listening to uh, not only your the things you have to say, John, but like the other members in class who have been here for a while, who 
add such clarity uh, at sticking points throughout this this particular uh, type of a study. So uh, I just appreciate the fact that you're going over it again. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I like the having that sutta to read every every week, or uh, um, it's 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 a good experience. So don't get for anyone, everyone here, just don't get discouraged if you're new and you seem like a little confused. And just hang in there. When the clarity comes through, it's it's a life changer, and you'll be glad that you did. So thank you, thank you. I'll be glad you did too. Thank you, Michael. <laughs> Steve, I think I think you're uh, getting some feedback from your uh, unit, Steve. Ah, uh, there you go. Hello, everyone. Uh, much like everyone has said, uh, I made a commitment to be at each class for the study and to put it all in context. And the flow of the teachings, well, it's worth the commitment. Uh, it's worth the 20 weeks. It's worth you know digging into this and your practice will become more nuanced. It, it, the, it's the, the advantages of the context of these suttas will deepen what you are developing. And uh, again, like Ram and Michael, that's where I met Michael and Julia. They, they, they were there every week and it has value. It, there's something to be said to the, uh, the stick to of the practice. And, you know, this is a good practice, uh, the study to dive into uh, after the truth of happiness. So thank you. I look forward to it again. Yeah, I do too. Thank you, David. Um, well, it's, it's Meg, how are you tonight? Oh, hi there. I'm really good. Thank you. Um, thank you for teaching this. I'm really I've gotten so much of my meditation practice and even though I sometimes I'm not as consistent as I like to be um, I think through the effort the right effort and right mindfulness I'm learning how to do how to do the actually do the meditation and get more out of it so I'm and I feel like I'm getting glimpses into this um, um, I guess this um, the pasta just in gaining some insight into my own behavior <laughs> and being able to catch that during the day, you know, and then act and, and then react differently to things uh, on a conscious level because I'm realizing, oh, I get it. <laughs> I don't need to do that. I don't need to say that and choosing to do it a different way. And so that's what I'm getting out of it so far. And so I'm, I'm really anxious to, to look, to see, look at this deeper and see, you know, where it goes. So thank you so much. Thank you, Meg. You're describing. Welcome, Kelly. <laughs> yeah, welcome, Kelly. You're developing, you're describing introspective insight. It's just that it's in, in common, ordinary moments that we get glimpses of ourselves. And what else is that but insight? in relation to the eightfold task so thank you for that um so we're gonna this this uh study continues on saturday 
so I hope you can all join. If you can't join on Saturday, the, the, the Saturday class will be recorded and posted usually within 24 hours. So you, uh, what I'm saying is if you can only join us on Tuesday, try to listen to the Saturday class. But as we, a few of us have heard, said tonight, the more you put into this, the Buddha used the word ehephasiko, which means come and see for yourself, which really says that you have to come and see for yourself and you have to put in your effort. There's, there's nothing taken on faith here. Uh, just wanting to awaken doesn't, doesn't get you there like most religions are presented. But if you do the work, you will awaken. Uh, and again, what does awakening mean? Awakening means gaining full human maturity, not taking anything personal. Um, any other questions or comments? Oh, and we've mentioned the retreat. The retreat uh, reservations are open again. Uh, please join us if you can, and the sooner you sign up, the better for me. Uh, uh, John? Yes, sir. Did you get my reservation? No. Okay. When yes. did that um, Oh, four or five days ago. Oh, no. Um, okay. Something in glitchy. I'll, did I'll, uh, you get an acknowledgement of it? No, I did not. Uh, there was something about my... Um, uh, my email address being associated with something else. So, uh, I... Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.